every Arizona homeowner's best friend. And it all has to do with you. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Living is the life for me. Come on around back Arizona. It is Saturday morning, first Saturday of the new year. <clears throat> Little something different today. Happy New Year. Thanks for getting up and spending your Saturday morning with us, your Arizona tradition for now 34 years. And if you listen, you know that. We have the first Saturday of the month, Farm Fresh, with the Arizona Farm Bureau. Second Saturday of the month, in this 8 o'clock outdoor living hour, we have Talking Trees with Save a Tree. Third Saturday of the month, Notes from Nursery with Jay Harper. Fourth Saturday of the month, we have Farmer Greg. Now, this isn't the fourth Saturday of the month, but we did not broadcast on Christmas Day. Our radio affiliates had special programming that they played, and January is a five-week month, so we're still on 2021 calendar with Farmer Greg, and today we're talking permaculture, but if you joined us all year long with Farmer Greg, you know we would have covered fruit trees, citrus trees, uh, garden water, successful soil. I'm going through the calendar here, preserving your harvest, water harvesting, a lot of water, composting. There it was from June, July, and August. Uh, We dropped into backyard fruit trees, seed saving in September, October, uh, citrus again, November, edible landscapes. That was a lot of fun. And now we're into December, permaculture. So before we can completely kiss 2021 goodbye, we got to pick up last Saturday's program that would have ri- originally aired on Christmas Day that, uh, you know, hopefully y'all had a blessed time with your family and uh, had a, a week off. We did close the week between Christmas and New Year's, so we're, we're back to work here on New Year's Day, and we've got Farmer Greg with Permaculture. Take it away. Hello, hello, hello. Well, I am not hungover today, so that's good. You know, I, I've never been one that can make it past about 8, 9, 10 if I right? get a nap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd rather go to bed early and get up early. What's, what's so, you know, that's just me. <laughs> Unless the fireworks keep you up. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, and that, then the dog starts barking yeah. because of the fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So we're talking about permaculture. Permaculture is something really exciting that I discovered over 30 years ago. And so let me tell you a little story. In the early 70s, I wrote a paper on how we were overfishing the oceans. I was in the eighth grade and I had a big sense in the early to mid 70s that the way we were living on the planet wasn't quite right. The way we were consuming things and so I back then, this idea of how do we work with nature got planted really solidly in me. And fast forward to 1981, and I was dreaming up a fish farm in Arizona where everything on that fish farm would get used. So the fish would um, be raised and the fish poop would be used for fertilizer and all the Fish leftovers would be used for fertilizer. And so this, and now what we call that is a regenerative farm. But I was I was thinking about that in the early 80s. And now fast forward 10 more years to 1991. And this flyer arrives in the mailbox here at the urban farm. 
I have no idea how they tracked me down. <laughs> and it was talking about... And a this perma- was before cell phones. <laughs> th- this was before cell phones and email and all that stuff. And so I have no idea how they tracked me down, but they sent me a flyer for what is called a permaculture design course. And a permaculture design course, or PDC, is a 72-hour deep dive into what permaculture is. And I'm going to explain in a minute what permaculture is. Um, And we actually, since 1991, I've actually offered many permaculture design courses. In fact, we have one coming up this uh, February. So next month, we've got a 72-hour permaculture design course coming up. So if you, if this piques your interest, go to urbanfarm.org. We have a free, uh, we have a free introduction to permaculture class we're going to be doing on Zoom this month. And, uh, you know, check it out. So remember the regenerative farm, a regenerative farm recreates itself over time. What we do in permaculture is we learn from nature. So basically my definition of permaculture is the art and science of working in the flow of nature. We human beings think we know how to do nature better than nature knows how to do nature. And uh, my late good friend, Toby Hemingway used to say, nature always bats last. Nature's always gonna win. And we human beings have to get that we can't outthink nature. Nature will always figure it out. So what we do in permaculture is we look to natural systems to see how they work and then we integrate them in their yard. And I have lots of examples on how I've done that here at the urban farm over the next, you know, course of the next hour, I'll talk about that. And the definition of permaculture from the the founders, which is David Holmgren and Bill Mollison, they kind of, co-created this in the 70s is permaculture, permanent agriculture. It's a, it's a derivative word of permanent agriculture or permanent culture. So permaculture is the conscious design and maintenance of agriculturally productive systems. And I have since, this is their definition back in the 70s. And I hang have, on, Farmer Gray, I'm going to have you repeat that because I was, I was still stuck meditating on this nature bats last. And I, no. I missed that last <laughs> definition. I want to hear that one more time. <laughs> nice. No problem. No problem. Okay. So permanent agriculture or permanent culture is where permaculture comes from. And it's the conscious design and maintenance of agriculturally productive systems. Now, I have since taken it, and and many people have taken it further than that, and they say um, design and maintenance of human interaction systems with nature. So how can we look at the entire landscape of our lives and put permaculture or natural systems in place. And um, I like that conscious design, but you know one thing I don't have to do with nature is maintenance. So could you exactly. consciously design it to not have to maintain it? Yes, that's the whole point. That's the whole point because maintaining is in our human brain. You know, one of the things that drives me nuts, and this has driven me nuts for pretty much my entire life, is people mow their lawns, take the grass clippings, which is next year's fertilizer, and throw them away. They rake the leaves and throw them away. Again, wherever away is at, you know, that's some distant land, you know, landfill place. But both of those, 
leaves and grass is next year's fertilizer. The best thing you can do for your lawn is get a mulching lawnmower and then spread all of those leaves that you have in your yard underneath the mulching lawnmower and let the lawnmower mulch them so it's your next year's humus and fertilizer and compost. Um, yeah. Regenerative. Regenerative. Okay, so let's talk about that word regenerative. It's the one that I discovered in the early 90s when I was doing the permaculture design course. Um, there is degenerative and then there's regenerative. And I've been studying this my entire life. I've been studying permaculture for the last 30 plus years. And what I have come to is that humans create degenerative system. In fact, I believe that every single human system that has been, in, been put in place, our cars, the chair I'm sitting in, the desk I'm sitting at, our roadways, our pipes, our bridges, all of the infrastructure, everything that we create, over time, it breaks down. Eventually, this chair I'm sitting in is going to get thrown away somewhere. That is degenerative. Now, when we look at nature, natural systems regenerate themselves over time. So over the course of a year, 10 years, 100 years, 1,000 years, the natural systems in my yard, in the forest, in the desert, they recreate themselves without human intervention. So that's what regenerative is. The problem with degenerative systems, that's degenerative systems, is they all, they break down. There's an end for every single degenerative system on the planet. And remember what I said a minute ago, every single human system is degenerative. I know I've been, this is my opinion. I've been looking at this for over 30 years and I have yet to find a human system that is regenerative. And I, I challenge anybody to take a look and email me at greg at urbanfarm.org and say, hey, Greg, this is a human system that's regenerative. So what we do in permaculture, after we've distinguished degenerative, regenerative, nature puts in regenerative systems. So what we do as humans, we look at the natural systems around us and see how we can replicate them in our spaces. And that's really what permaculture is, is how can we replicate them in our spaces? And today we're going to be talking about putting that in your personal outdoor space. Front yard, backyard, patio, uh, tower gardens, however the case may be. Uh, Farmer Greg does a lot of experimenting and has a, you know, a, a relatively limited space. Uh, about you know, uh, a, a third of an acre. A third of an acre. Or, yeah. And has and experimented without all the different types of systems and how we can make our own little permaculture in our on our home to have our own, you know, sustainable food source, right? Yeah. Right out the back door or front door. Right. Well, and, and there's so many things that you can actually do that's not food-based. And we're talking about all those things here at Rosie on the House. Happy New Year. We're going to go on our first break and come back and continue our conversation with Farmer Greg here at Rosie on the House. One triple eight. Seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight. Rosie for you to join the conversation. Text four one one nine two three, or you can email us at info at rosieonthehouse dot com. 
Permaculture is our topic today. If you're looking in your 2022 home maintenance calendar and you're like, hey, where's Leafy Green Farm Fresh that we're supposed to be talking about? Well, as we described at the beginning of the first segment, we did not have a broadcast on Christmas. And that was something we didn't even look at when we were putting the calendar together. So because January is a five-week month, we've rolled Farmer Greg to January 1st, and we were talking at permaculture, as you can see as the last topic from the 21 calendar, the conscious design and maintenance of agriculturally productive systems. That's the definition of permaculture. And there are ethics for permaculture. What, what are the ethics, Farmer Greg? What, that sounds like a very stern word for <laughs> gardening. <laughs> Yeah, it's actually, there's so much, it's just like nature, there's flow in it. So it's not really stern, it's just, it's the flow, you know, you just get in the flow. And so when Bill Mollison and David Holmgren penned Permaculture, they basically looked at nature and looked at natural systems and how they worked and they put them together in uh, several books, which is, uh, one of them is called Permaculture, a Designer's Manual. It's a 800 page tome on how to work with nature, uh, they created some ethics. And uh, it's really simple. It's uh, care for the earth, care for the people and the inhabitants of the earth and care for the future and share the surplus. Um, So really it's a model to see how we can put systems in place to take care of our future. I like to share the surplus. Mm -hmm. That's, That's good. Yeah, so let's actually, I'm glad you brought that up. Let's talk about that for a minute. I am, and for longtime listeners of me on this show, you've heard this from me, but I'll just reiterate it. And that is that I believe that the only place that lack lives, this conscious human concept that we call there's not enough or lack, the only place that that lives is in our brains. Because when I look at natural systems around my house, I have an apple tree in the backyard that produces 250 pounds of apples. That is a massive amount of abundance. And I have citrus that I'm harvesting right now. And I would bet off of my 14 navel orange citrus trees, I'll get 500 pounds of citrus this year. That is just an amazing amount of abundance. So um, when we look to nature, we're looking for the abundance of nature. Yeah, 500 pounds of citrus would be a lot for anyone to consume in a year. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I told a joke for many years that uh, about four years ago, I finally started getting enough navel oranges that I could share some with my mom. <laughs> because I've already, today, I've already eaten three. And it's, you know, on a good day, I'll eat 10 navel oranges off of my trees this time of year. Because, you know, they just grow, they're free, they're just, you know, there. And it is fun. We have, uh, you know, several types of grapefruit. Pink Lady is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got another one that's got a really, really thick rind um, and not much oh. fruit in it, but it's a very, very Sweet. yellow. And uh, then we've got several different types of oranges, a lime tree. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And we won't just, when we squeeze them, we won't just do orange juice and grapefruit and <clears throat> lime juice and lemon juice separately. We'll, we might do three oranges, a pink lady grapefruit, and a lime, and just see what it tastes like. You know, yeah. Every drink gets something different for breakfast. Right? It's, it's a lot. It, you know, I enjoy it. 
I, I tell myself the kids enjoy it. I think they do. <laughs> they, they go out and pick with me. So <laughs> There you go. There you go. So along with the ethics, Bill and uh, David, who David Holmgren, by the way, has been on my podcast. That was an epic podcast. Um, they created principles around permaculture. And these principles are guidelines for us to look to see how to interact with nature. And the first one is observation. And I've told people for years, when you move into a new property, spend at least a year before you make any major changes. Spend a year on the property to make sure that you don't make any big mistakes. And a perfect example of that is about a decade ago, the people across the street moved into their house. They have a west facing front yard. And, you know, I'm in an old citrus orchard. And so I still, to this day, I still have a couple of orange trees that were planted in the 1920s. And when they moved into their house, there were two grapefruit trees in their front yard, mature 30 foot tall grapefruit trees. And within a week of them moving in, they were out there with chainsaws cutting them down. Ugh. What they didn't realize and you know was, what they probably bought into the hype of the you know if you've got citrus you're gonna end up with rats and they were trying right? to you know because of a rat they made the decision to ruin their entire landscape <laughs> well and here's the thing I have not seen in 10 years a, a citrus fruit damaged by a rat on my property and I grow a lot of citrus but here's the thing that they didn't understand that they have a west-facing house this was their front yard. So those two citrus trees were shading their house in the afternoon. I'm sure they increased their electric bill in the summertime by oh, yeah. 30%. A lot, so of, a lot of heat gain. When you first arrive at a property, you want to spend some time paying attention to what's where and make sure you don't make any big mistakes. And you do that through protracted observation protractive observation long-term long-term observation i hadn't heard about protractive or protractors since i was in fifth grade (laughs) (laughs) and we're not done with our fancy words here in the urban farm we've got a lot more (laughs) stay tuned as usual with Farmer Greg, we're over halfway through the conversation and not halfway through our talking points. So we're we're, going to catch up on segment two, uh, which was the principles of permaculture. Uh, We started with observation and now we run into stacking functions. Stacking functions is my favorite permaculture concept. And it's actually really not a permaculture concept. Um, For those of you that don't know, I actually went back to college in 1999 at Arizona State University and, and got my bachelor's by 04. But one of the classes that I took at Arizona State University was a transportation planning class. So now, this was like in 2002. So 10 years earlier, I'd learned about stacking functions in permaculture. So I had a decade to kind of integrate that. Well, In my transportation planning class, he started talking about something called trip stacking. 
Strip stacking is the concept in transportation planning of you don't go to the drugstore and come home, the grocery store and come home, the pet store and come home. You do all three of them in a loop. Generally speaking, we, you know, if you're going to go run some errands, you go run errands and do them in a loop. And it was like, for me, it was like, oh my gosh, that is stacking functions overlaid on vehicles. And that really started me thinking about all the different ways that we can stack functions and what that looks like and how to do it. And I've got some examples uh, coming up. One of them, oh, let's just jump into it. Stacking functions with a chicken. Okay, so this uh, is our permaculture chicken conversation. And chickens in, and I'll ask you this, Romy and Gary, in our culture, in industrial farming, what do chickens serve? What do they do for us? Boneless wings, breakfast yeah, there eggs. You go. Yeah, exactly. Meat and eggs. And in some cases, I know Hickman, uh, Clint compost. Hickman, I, yeah, <laughs> Clint is using all of the manure for compost. Right. That's right? the uh, poop that comes from the chickens. That so, is the poop that comes yeah. from the chickens, mm-hmm. actually. That's right. So that's an, that's what an industrial chicken is good for. Well, in my yard, we have permaculture chickens. And while they, you know, we don't eat our, our hens, they're egg layers, they do give us eggs. And um, most of your, I don't know a single commercial meat chicken that also is an egg-laying chicken. Correct. You know, they're, they're completely separate kinds. breeds. I mean, there's hundreds of breeds of chickens. Yes, and exactly. They've got the ones designed to, you know, lay an egg a day. And we've got a lot of those varieties and then you've got the meat ones. So it's... Right. Those... And, we. Those two functions don't stack. <laughs> correct, correct. And interestingly, so um, I'm not a vegetarian. I'm mostly vegetarian. And about 15 years ago, I decided that I was going to figure out what it took to raise meat chickens. So I went and got some, I did a little bit of research and I went and got some meat chickens. And a meat chicken is uh, a chicken that goes from, you know, little peeping chick to uh, the table in about eight weeks. They grow that fast. It's amazing to watch them grow. I don't do that anymore, um, but uh, I did experience that process, and I learned a lot from it. So, uh, but back to stacking we, functions with my chicken. Go ahead. I, I'm with you. We we did that a couple times, and like, okay, been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> move on. Well, and and for me, uh, if I do go for uh, chicken, I, you know, I'm willing to pay twenty five dollars for a a meat chicken because I know what it takes to do them organically and you know, in a small crop. So it gave me that appreciation. Um, But let's go back to what the chickens do in our backyard. So they do give us eggs. They are great tillers. They eat bugs. They eat weeds. So basically we have this one hen that does all of that. They give us poop every day for our compost bin and building healthy soil. And, um, and they happen to be Heidi's pets. So when, uh, when Heidi goes out to the backyard, she goes out and visits them every day. Uh, they come running and they'll jump in her lap. And um, so permaculture chickens do a lot more than just give us eggs. And see, I, I'm, I'm sure Heidi has names for them. Uh, yep, name them all. You know, and that may sound funny, but you know, you never hear about a crazy chicken woman. You're about crazy cat ladies all the time. You never hear about crazy chicken women. 
There you go. Well, Heidi doesn't qualify for the crazy part. No, I'm saying that's what I'm saying. That that, that doesn't exist. Oh, yeah, if you're yeah, yeah, right. living in, you know, and you're you're the homesteading and you're growing, you know, that that crazy element doesn't exist. Yeah. I wasn't calling no, I was saying she's the opposite of crazy. Oh, there you go. You don't hear about them cuz they don't exist. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, that stacking functions and I really challenge you to see how many places in your life you can stack functions. Here's another one. My evaporative, I still have an evaporative cooler here on the urban farm. I love my evap cooler. I use it for about four months a year. It saves me hundreds of dollars every year in electrical costs. Plus I like the moist air and um, it runs off water. You know, there's a, a stream of water that comes off the evaporative cooler. And what I have done in the past is that stream of water is used. Use number one is to cool the air in my house. Use number two goes into the fish pond. And in the past, in the way past, I've raised fish to eat. Now it's just a, you know, a nice looking fish pond that I grow some plants in. And you, then the water from there goes into the gardens to water the gardens. So basically I took that water and I used it three different times. Um, so again, that's another function of stack or another way to stack function. So I just really challenge everybody out there to, to look at an asset. An asset could be water. It can be um, a chicken. It can be your car in the, in the uh, process of trip stacking and see how you can start stacking functions in your life to make things more efficient. And then there's a bunch more principles. I'm just going to throw them at you because um, I know we don't have Rifle around. <laughs> yeah. So work with nature is the next one. Um, and these are in no particular order. Uh, the problem is the solution. You've heard this one before is you make uh, lemonade from lemons. We're always looking for that in permaculture. Uh, make the least change for the greatest effort. No, no, no. The way around. <laughs> <laughs> make the least change with the greatest effect. So this is our lazy gardener coming in. And this is at the beginning of the show, you said something about, so we can set these up so that they self-maintain. That's really what we're trying to do. In fact, what I've done here in 32 years at the urban farm is I've created a, what is called a, an old growth food forest. So at any, I let things go to seed. I let the regenerative process of nature happen in my yard. So at any given moment, I have carrots, parsley, oregano, basil, lettuce, kale. The list goes on and on and on about things that just come back in my landscape year after year after year. Um, and that took the, a lot of years to get to that. Point. It did. You know, this isn't and, something you're going to do overnight, but right. it, it makes the reward so much better at the when you get there. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I've people I've had people ask me, how long does it take? Well, it took me 30 years, but it doesn't have to take 30 years. If I was going to do it again, my system probably would take about four years to get it set up because I have 30 years of knowledge, 30 years of study, 30, 30 years of designing with nature. Now I know how to do it. And I don't completely know how to do it. And if I moved, if I moved someplace else, I would actually, that wasn't the low desert. I would actually hire somebody to come in that knew the climate that I was moving into, um, you know, to help me do it because I know desert. 
You know, I know drylands. I don't know forests of Washington or anything like that. So, uh, but it's still, I could do it and, you know, I could do a, an edible design in three to five years. And you talked about, you know, you don't do the aquaponics anymore, the, the fish. You don't do the, right. the bird harvesting. So experience isn't all just figuring out what you like. It's figuring out what you don't like and right. realizing that I don't mind paying for a great chicken right. somewhere yep. else because that I don't enjoy raising them here. So exactly. you know, it's, it's, it's what you do like and what you don't like. <laughs> Well, and so, you know, I was having a conversation with the, with somebody the other day and I've had, I've had over 30 businesses in my life. Two of them lasted over 20 years each. This is one of them. And I've had probably 30 to 50 jobs. I had a job that lasted two hours. I had one that lasted two weeks and I had, you know, I had one that lasted a year and each one of those were learning experiences for me on what I did and didn't like. And that's really, that's re- as human beings, that's what we need to be doing on the planet. I'm preaching now, I know. Uh, but that's what we need to be doing. We need to go out and discover what we love to do. And the only way to do that is to jump in and try something. And sometimes you'll fail. That's okay. Sometimes you don't like it. That's okay. Do something else. Now you know what you don't want to do anymore. Anyways. <laughs> that's why I love permaculture. Because it's, you know, it's this, all of that that I was just talking about, that's permaculture. It's working with nature. And looking at the final quick uh, points here, you're talking about everything gardens, build diversity, observe and respond, build small scale. Those are all permacultural principles, and you can find those in the Radio Archive page today. We've got a few minutes left here to fit in what we were supposed to be talking about in the third segment anyway, but <laughs> that's the great thing. It's, it's not scripted, and we've got, uh, we've got time Lots to dive to into. About. Yes. So one of the things that you just read, Romy, was under the permaculture principles is building diversity. And, you know, culturally, what we have done in the food system is we have decreased the diversity to make things more mono, more monoculture. And, um, you know, so in the grocery store, I think one of the most uh, prosperous things in the grocery store, the ones that we can find the most of are apples. You know, we can find probably 15 or 20 different varieties of apples over the course of a season. Guess what? There are over 2,500 apples that are grown on the planet. And in fact, um, one of the reasons we have 2,500 varieties is because of of, uh, Johnny Appleseed. He was actually a person. And what he used to do, and I think it was, I can't remember the years, but I think in the 1700s, is he would go ahead of... um, of civilization, he would stop at the cider mills, uh, buy seeds and go ahead of civilization and plant the seeds out. And what that did is that gave us an amazing amount of genetic biodiversity. So part of what I've done here at the urban farm is I've created a genetically biodiverse space by planting, and we talk about this in September, open pollinated seeds. Open pollinated seeds are not hybrids, they're not um, genetically modified. Basically, they're a, they're a land race or a, an older version of seeds that basically replicate themselves over and over again. So everything I've planted here at the urban farm has been uh, open pollinated so that they reseed themselves year over year. Over year. Now, with the, on the seed packaging, will it say open pollinated, um, uh, heirloom? 
What sometimes our job as seed hunters is to make sure that we're finding, you know, open pollinated seeds. And at the Great American Seed Up that we do every year, every uh, October, all of our seeds are open pollinated. So it takes a little bit of research, but I'm a big proponent of that. In our final segment here with Farmer Greg talking permaculture, we have circular composting is what we're going to focus in on here for this last segment of, you know, I don't know, we get about 20 bullet points here we haven't even touched on yet, but <laughs> uh, you, you want to focus on circular composting. Yeah, so I have what I call a regenerative composting system here at the urban farm. And it's circular. So basically what it looks like is I have a couple of neighbors that bring me food scraps. I collect food scraps uh, on a weekly basis from the Duck and Decanter, the restaurant there at Camelback and 16th Street. And then we have our food scraps from our kitchen. And all of those food scraps go into a uh, multi multifaceted, that, that's the word I'll use, composting system here at the urban farm that includes chickens. So the chickens will eat through what they eat through. It includes worm composting and it includes traditional composting. And sometimes I even do black soldier fly composting. But every single one of those things is taking all that food waste and breaking it down to healthy soil so that everything eventually ends up in the compost bin. I harvest the healthy soil and I put it in my garden beds to grow more food that I then harvest. We cut it up in the kitchen, we have food scraps and they start that process all over again. So that's a circular composting system that I've been doing here for, I don't know, five or six years at the urban farm. And it, uh, it makes for really happy, healthy plants. And when you're picking up, you know, I, I know a lot of restaurants will do that. I mean, you're mm -hmm. not picking up what's come over off of somebody's plate as a leftover. No. This Correct. is like I'm put cutting a salad and the, you know, what do you do with the salad? You know, like a Roman, you know, picture romaine lettuce. You cut off the butt yeah. end yep. and that's your food scrap. You got your exactly. carrots, you cut off the fronds. You know, this is tomatoes. or if yeah. you're peeling potatoes, it's the potato peel. It's uh, I mean. This isn't what's left over on somebody's plate. <laughs> but that could, you know, that could happen. That is post-consumer waste. And this is pre-consumer food waste. And the, the other really cool thing about the duck program for me is that I get five-gallon food grade buckets, about 10 of them a week. Very cool. So, And speaking of fruit tree program. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we do the fruit tree education program starting in September every year. This is our 22nd year of fruit tree education, and then people can pre-order their trees. If you haven't pre-ordered your trees, we have some left over. Um, you can go to fruittrees.org to find out, find the education and find our fruit tree list. But what we have done, or what I've done over the past 20 years is I've created education and systems for people to be ultimately successful with our fruit trees. So um, I run our fruit tree program kind of like a Christmas tree lot. People get their education and they pre-order their fruit trees. And then usually starting about the 14th of January, they come down to our fruit tree lot and pick up their fruit trees and their fruit tree supplies and take them home and get your fruit tree planted. Go through some of the varieties that you know, somebody uh, yes. new to the desert or Arizona might not realize grow and do and are successful here. 
This is one of the reasons that I started this fruit tree program is because you can go into most nurseries and every big box store and they will sell you a fruit tree that won't make fruit because it's not climate appropriate for Phoenix. So we bring in only climate appropriate trees, thrive here and make fruit. I was saying, it's not like that they're trying to sell you something bad, but if you've never exactly. been here and you don't realize that, you know, Arizona goes from basically sea level at Yuma and you could be at 14,000 feet by the end of the day yep. uh, on top of, you know, the San Francisco peaks, Mount Humphrey and, and Flagstaff, yep. there's a lot of zones in there. So they're yeah. they're delivering to a region much larger than what it physically is geographically when you land here. So let me go over those different kinds of fruit real quick. Obviously, citrus works really well. Apples, there's two varieties of apples, Anna and Dorset Golden. There's two varieties of apricots. Katie and Goldkiss do really well. There's about a dozen different kinds of peaches. My favorite, hands down, is the Desert Gold Peach. There's about four different kinds of plums that do really well. There's some plueries, which are plum cherries, and pluots, which are plum apricots, plue, yeah, plum apricots. Um, and then uh, pomegranates, figs, grapes, olives all do really well here. Uh, jujubes do really well here. Yes, they're a tree fruit, not a candy as well. <laughs> Trying to think what else we have. If you go to fruittrees.org, we have a 60-page catalog of all the trees and descriptions of them and like that. And with the exception of the extreme hot month, July, a little bit of August, you could design on your property to be harvesting something every single month. Yes. And... It's really hard from about July 15th to about July, September, about October 15th. For about three months, it's just too dang hot. But the rest of the time, absolutely. Starting now, actually starting in November with citrus. So citrus will go through April um, and some, some will go into May. Uh, there is mulberries that will show up. I didn't mention that. There's Pakistani mulberries and, and dwarf black mulberries that will knock your socks off. They are legal to have here. They're females. Then peaches, stone fruit, anything with a pit, and then apples through about um, the first week of July. And yay. And then start the next season over. We can do a lot here, go. but we can't stop the clock. Farmer Greg, thanks for spending the first day of 2022 with us here at Rosie on the House. We look forward to seeing you on January 29th. We'll be talking about backyard livestock. Look forward to that one. Oh, nice. We should bring Kari Spencer in on that one. Oh, perfect. All right. I'll reach out to her. Yeah. <laughs> she is an amazing uh, person when it comes to backyard livestock. She's with the Micro Farm Project here in town. Perfect. We'll look forward to it. Thanks again, Farmer Greg. Farm, Have fun. Uh, urbanfarm.org. Thank you, thank you. And fruittrees.org for fruit trees.